0: Today is actually a biblical holiday. How many are aware that today is actually a biblical holiday? Holiday not in festive holiday as in holy day. Like truly true to the word holiday, holy day. It's a a holy day. It's not a day that you'd find in the books of Moses, but it's a fast day that was put into place when our ancestors were exiled in Babylon and it commemorates the destruction of the temple. And the day is called Tisha B'Av, uh, Tisha of simply means the ninth of Av, so this is the month, the Jewish month of Av, and it is the ninth of the month. So the holiday is called the ninth of Av. It's kind of like, well, what's the fourth of July called? The fourth of July. <laughs> well, actually, that's called Independence Day. So <laughs> maybe a little bit different. But anyway, so it, it commemorates the destruction of the temple. And many, if that come from a Christian background, may say like, well, why do we even care about? The destruction of the temple, I will tell you this, that the, destru- that the t- destruction of the temple is very deep in the DNA of, of Jewish people because it, it signifies God's judgment on the land. So, so many prophets from Isaiah on up said, listen, you guys got to live righteous lives. You got to do it right or else, I'm, you know, I'm going to, God's going to bring judgment upon the land. And then when the enemies of Israel came in and actually destroyed the temple, it was like, oh my gosh, it actually happened. Like God's judgment came upon the land. And that happened with Babylon. And then the temple was rebuilt. And we see that in the scripture towards the end of the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And then we see a temple all, all there again in the New Testament. We see a temple. We see Yeshua walking in the temple. And it's there in the New Testament uh, chronic chronicled in the New Testament, and then about a generation after Yeshua died in the year 70, the Romans came and they destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, Uh, and it was a time of great, great suffering. The the historical writings say that the Romans cut down all the trees of Jerusalem and just hang Jews upon crosses all throughout the land. Uh, There was people died by murder, starvation, hunger, uh, thirst, everything. It was just death and destruction all throughout the land, and so it's really, really heavy on the hearts of Jews, and the reason that we're here in America primarily is because of, or the people of God, or Jewish people at least, are here in America, primarily is because of these exiles that happened, and we're still in a place of exile. So um, it's, it's a very, very important day, very solemn day on the Jewish calendar. Uh, it's normally a fast day, but the fast is put off until tomorrow because today is Shabbat, and the Jews just want to celebrate on Shabbat. So the fast is, 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 is delayed one day until tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow is a fast day. Um, the interesting thing is the New Testament, the words of Yeshua speak about this day a lot. So if you read the gospel accounts, there are many, many words of Yeshua that spoke about this day, Tisha the day that the temple was destroyed by Israel's enemies. It's in the gospels throughout. Uh, Mark thirteen two, Yeshua said, do you not see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. So that is a prophecy. Of what is commemorated today, the destruction of the temple. How do I stay in a solemn mood when I'm so happy to see everyone? That's that's going to be hard. Um, so, so you know, Yeshua spoke about this a lot. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Uh, Yeshua turned to them and said, "Daughters of Jerusalem, this is when Yeshua was going up the hill to be crucified." Uh, he's, and they were mourning, the people were mourning, and he said, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. He was then He then went on to say, what's about to happen in Jerusalem? And then there's a very famous dialogue between Yeshua and the disciples where they said, what's, when are these things going to happen? You know, when are these going to happen? When is the sign of your coming? And he speaks about uh, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, recognize that her desolation is near, Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who are inside the city must leave. Those who are in the country must not enter the city. This was Yeshua speaking about what was going to happen 40 years later. Uh, I was reading some historical accounts, and it seems that one of the rifts between Judaism, normative Judaism, Pharisaic Judaism, or the Judaism of the time and this fledgling jewish belief of the early christians the the jewish sect of the nazarenes the jewish believers one of the reasons that there was such a rift between them is because yeshua told his disciples 40 years early earlier when you see this stuff happen get out of dodge don't hang around don't fight when you see this is happening you're it's you're going to it's going to happen. You're going to get killed. This is God's judgment. Get out. Flee. So some of the historical writings say that, well, the, the disciples, the, the later disciples of Yeshua, the ones that were in this little Christian sect called the Way, or this little Jewish sect, I'm sorry, the Jewish sect called the Way, they when, when this started happening, they left, according to the words of the Lord. Many people, especially the zealots, they rallied around and they fought and they lost. And the fact that The the Jewish followers of Yeshua did not fight, they left, was one of the reasons that there was a a, a split, a rift, one of the reasons between normative Judaism and Yeshua's Jewish followers. Um, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, this is again Yeshua talking, speaking about that moment and what was going to happen in Jerusalem for millennia. Jerusalem was going to be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That was fulfilled in 1967 when Jerusalem came back into Jewish hands. After millennia of it going from one to another to another to another to another, it came back into Jewish hands. That was the fulfillment. In 1967, we see the words of Yeshua actually being fulfilled. Whoever here was alive in 1967. I wasn't, Sue was, but she was only one, experience that in your life. An amazing fulfillment of prophecy from Yeshua himself. The time of the Gentiles fulfilled and now the Jews came back into the land. but Yeshua brought the destruction of the temple to a whole new level. And this is also very important for us as believers in Yeshua to understand that. Because in Judaism, the temple is mourned. But, and as much as that was a sorrowful and mournful event, Yeshua took this, took this event and prophesied and turned it into a whole other thing. Turned it into something, not as much a destruction, but a shift of focus. Because he said, first of all, he said, destroy this temple... Speaking of the temple, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, the temple was not raised up in three days. We know that. It's still destroyed now to this day except for one wall. But it says that in John, he was speaking about the temple of his body. But in doing this, we must understand that he he equated himself. He connected himself to the temple. He connected himself to the temple. And this is very important for all of us who believe in him to realize that he connected himself to the temple and in doing so, he also connected himself to the suffering of his people. So when we commemorate the destruction of Jerusalem that happened historically and the destruction of the temple, we must understand that the crucifixion of the Messiah is a connection between the king of Israel and the suffering of Israel. And the crucifixion of the Lord is related to the sufferings that the Jewish people have had, not only at that time, but around the world. By by equating himself with the temple, and the temple being destroyed, and his body being destroyed, he brought a relationship And that is also one of the reasons why we see upon his crucifixion, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now, there's many bits of revelation when it comes to that as far as entering in and uh, closeness and proximity to God, that the veil was a separation and that 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 was removed. But the fact that a part of the temple was destroyed upon his crucifixion also shows his connection to the temple. And this is very important to understand, especially when, as I shared a couple weeks ago, that the prophet Zechariah speaks about this day, the fast of this, this fifth month, becoming eventually an occasion for joy and gladness. And imagine that being fulfilled when all of Israel realizes that the temple was destroyed, but the temple was also resurrected. That he is the temple. And it's like, oh my gosh, something greater than the temple is now here, as he said. And that's a a reason for rejoicing. So I think it's very important for the body of Messiah to commemorate this day. Often the crucifixion of Messiah is commemorated at Passover because that's when he was crucified. He was the Lamb of God, like the Passover Lamb. But this is also a day where we can also commemorate um, his crucifixion and acknowledge it. Uh, In Hebrews, when it says that, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is about to disappear, this is very, very misunderstood, because people think when the writer of Hebrews said when the old, uh, the the new covenant made the first obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete is growing old, that the writer is talking about Judaism, the writer is talking about Torah, it's not that at all, it's about the temple, and all the the, uh, ceremonies around it, like the sacrificial, uh, system and things like that. Um, so in John 4, Yeshua said, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but a time is coming and even now is arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So Yeshua is also saying the temple's coming down, but let me tell you something, there's a time when worship is not just going to be here, because the temple was where worship happened, it was where fellowship with God happened, it was where offerings and sacrifice happens where people came to commute with commune with God and he's saying yes that's going away but I'm telling you right now there's a time that God is gonna be worshiped all around the world so even though the temple is destroyed there is a shift that is happening and we certainly see that with the writings of Paul do you not realize about yourselves that Yeshua HaMashiach is in you which means that you are the temple of God And we see that in other areas in the writings of Paul, that there is a shift. It is the destruction of the temple, but it is also a shift to a different understanding that the presence of God is not just relegated to a building. He's in you, and you are scattered around the world. And it's very, very interesting that the scattering, the exile of the Jews, also happened at the exact same time that the scattering of the word of God, like through the the apostles, went all around the world. It's, there's an equation, there's a, there's a connectivity between these two events. So we see that we now are the temple of God. And this is something that the writers wanted to bring forth. And I believe so much of the New Testament writings is really like post temple Judaism. It's kind of like them teaching Jewish people, of course, Gentiles also, but it's also teaching the Jewish people how do we do this without our temple? How do we do this? What's, what's, been, what's, come into, what's become Christianity truly is, I believe, post-Temple Judaism. And that's what it originally was meant to be. So why did the temple get destroyed? So it's very interesting that the first temple, the one that existed you know, when Babylon came in and Babylon destroyed, why did that temple get destroyed? It's pretty obvious. We can read it in the Chronicles in the Old Testament in the Tanakh. There was rampant sin in the land. There was idolatry high places all over the place, right? There was a sexual immorality all over the place, and the leaders were doing it too. Kings, kings of Israel, putting up like altars to Baal. So there was idolatry, there was murder, there was bloodshed, there was sexual immorality, and so there was very overt sin. But About a generation or two generations after the temple was destroyed, when the rabbis came together and started to write down and codify all the traditions and all the dialogues between other rabbis and and documented oral tradition and put it into the Talmud, when that happened, they started to theorize and think about why did the second temple get destroyed? Like, we we didn't have altars of Baal in the temple. Like, we worshiped Hashem. We, were, we thought we were doing something right. Like, why did the temple get destroyed? And these types of dialogues are chronicled in the Talmud, and they come to primarily a conclusion. This rabbi says this, and this rabbi says that. But primarily, they come to a conclusion, and this is actually from the Talmud. However, considering that the people during the Second Temple period, the people during the Second Temple period were engaged in Torah study, observance of mitzvot, acts of kindness and that they did not perform the sinful acts that were performed in the first temple, why was the second temple destroyed? It was destroyed due to the fact that there was baseless hatred. You will see that term a lot uh, in Jewish circles around this day. Baseless hatred, baseless hatred. During that period, this comes to teach you that the sin of baseless hatred is equivalent to the three severe transgressions, idol worship, forbidden sexual relations, and bloodshed that happened with the first temple. So the first temple, it was those big sins. The second temple, according to the rabbis, it's baseless hatred, hatred that's of one another. And to God's eyes, it's the same. So this is what the rabbis say. But the interesting thing about the Talmud versus the New Testament is that the Talmud is that we can glean from it and we can read it and we can gain some understanding from the writings of these rabbis. But it's not the word of God. But the New Testament is the word of God. So we can actually read the words of the Messiah himself and find out why the temple was destroyed, why he did this. See, Judaism does not believe in the divine nature of the New Testament. So all all that's left to do is in retrospect for the rabbis to say, man, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And let's debate and dialogue about it. But we have a collection of writings called the New Testament, which happened before the temple was destroyed and warnings of the Messiah himself of why this is about to happen. And we see um, his woes. Whoa. Whoa. Some of the other translations that kind of make it a little more Jewish go, Oy, you Pharisees. I'm not a big fan of that. But I I I like the listing of the woes in the book of Luke. Because he goes, Woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees. And then the Torah teachers go, Wait a minute. When you insult them, you insult us too. And he goes, Oh, yeah? Well, woe to you Torah teachers. Well, woe to you too. So I like that. But anyway, so we're going to stick to the ones in Matthew. Now, I don't have them all listed here. And these are obviously, these one through eight are obviously my take on the meanings of it. But I will, I will say this it lists the woes. He says, Woe to you, Pharisees! Woe to you, Pharisees! Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. Right after he lists them, he says, Therefore, upon you will fall the guilt of all the righteous bloodshed on earth. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. So if we take a look, at what he was telling the Jewish leadership of the time. And then he said, therefore, the house is coming down, essentially left to you desolate. We can look at these woes that he told the Pharisees. He's like, this is really what broke the heart of God, of why he came down and broke the temple. So the first woe, and I'm, trying, I'm going to go through this very, very quickly because I think there would be a really great study and a dialogue amongst all of us of taking a look at the woes that he spoke to the Pharisees and just saying what it means now. Like, what does it mean for us? Like, what does it mean for Christianity? What does it mean for religious leaders today? What does it mean to us personally? Like, what do we take home from this and what are we doing that's sort of related to that? Because all the things that are written in the scripture are for us. So we can do that. Like the first woe was, you know, Yeshua said, you stop people from coming in. They're at the door of the kingdom and you stop them from coming in and you're not yourself entering in. So who are we stopping from entering into the kingdom? Like who potentially can be at the door of the kingdom and we're shutting it on them? Like these are really good things for us to dialogue. I bet you if we had like a study, a group on looking at these woes and what they mean and people sharing from their heart, I bet you we will be there for hours and we could just talk about and glean a lot of really good stuff. Uh, the second woe was when he said that you devour widows' houses while you're saying very elaborate prayers. Devouring widows' houses means that you're taking advantage of their money. Like a widow's house is their estate. Their husband died. And the religious people come, well, you should make a donation to me or to my cause. Like we kind of see that sometimes with televangelists, right? Like you give me this amount of money and I'll send you the proper healing prayer for your ailment. But not until you send the money. It's very, very similar. So we can look at these things. Uh, Putting religious burdens on people. It says that you, you go to the ends of the earth to make converts. But then you make more sons of hell than even you are. So what are they doing at that point? They're putting religious burdens on new believers. And I see that all the time. Like, once you're like, okay, now that you you got to, you know, you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of people at their level and at a certain pace. I could tell you right now that I was sinning before I accepted the Lord, and then I accepted the Lord,
1: and I kept sinning until the Holy Spirit convicted me. It wasn't immediate. And then I had another sin, and it took sometimes months,
0: sometimes years. This is the things that we work out. We work out our salvation salvation through fear and trembling. We work out our own salvation through fear and trembling but when we go to other people and say you got to do this and you got to do that especially what the pharisees were doing they were putting a lot of religious obligations we see this playing out in the book of acts saying you got to do this now that you're you accepted now you got to do this and this and this you got to convert to judaism so that's what Yeshua was talking about not keeping your word this is um where he talks about swearing by the temple versus swearing by the offerings at the temple like they were like making vows and saying like i'm going to make a vow and it's i'm not going to swear by the temple it doesn't mean anything if i I do, but if I swear by this little bit of gold, it meaning, it's meaning something. And Yeshua is saying, when you make a vow, it's before God. That's more important. He's saying, keep your word. So how many times do we say we're going to do something, or we're not going to do something, or we're going to do this or that, and we just forget about it? Like we don't keep our word before God. This woe is about not keeping your word. And remember, these are the things that cause the temple to come down, according to Yeshua. So these are very, very important for all of us. To understand, neglecting justice and mercy. This is when he said that you're tithing perfectly. You're taking your dill, you know, and your mint and all these crops that you have. I guess I guess they had, you know, they were growing dill and mint in their garden. And they took a tenth of it. They did it perfectly. But they neglected justice and mercy and all these things that Yeshua called the weightier matters of the law. And he said you should do that. But don't neglect the other. But do this also. How many times are we like doing things perfectly, like in the natural, like we're doing the, we're keeping the law perfectly, but we're forgetting the most important things like love and justice and mercy. These are not just to the Pharisees. These are things that we can all glean from superficial righteousness, ignoring your own sins and ignoring your generational sins. This is when he said like, you're, you're washing the outside of the cup but the inside is dirty. This is when he said that you're whitewashed tombs, but underneath the tombs, there's dead men's bones. And the um, generational one, it's like you're looking back at, this, at your forefathers and said, man, if I was them, I wouldn't have killed the prophets like they did. Yet you're doing the same thing yourself. Like how many times are we repeating patterns? And we can identify it when they do it, but we don't identify it when we do it. These are the things that he's talking to the Pharisees about. And these are the things, because remember, right after this, he says, therefore, the temple's coming down. This is very important for all of us to recognize that, because we can all glean information and and wisdom from this on how we deal with each other, how how we deal with other people. And where the heart of God is in this. And especially since we're the temple now, it's very important that these things are, are looked at and prayed about. And I, I know, I know, if you, if you looked at, the, at the, the woes that he spoke to the Pharisees and really sought the Lord on these things, I, I know he's going to convict, he would convict all of us on things that we might be doing that we can improve on. But I want to talk about this one concept that the rabbis brought forth called the baseless hatred. This is, again, where the rabbis of the Talmud said, this is why the temple went down. It's very, very similar to the words that Yeshua said. Because when you see how the Pharisees dealt with other people and each other, there was hatred. But, but the rabbis called it baseless hatred. What is baseless hatred? What is when you hate somebody or you judge somebody, but it's not really based on anything? It's not really based on anything they did. Like if somebody did something to you and you have a negative feeling because of what they did, that's one thing. How about if you don't like somebody because of something that's entirely baseless? Maybe they didn't do anything. Maybe you misunderstood something and that's why you have negative feelings. So I wanna talk about this baseless hatred. What I'm about to share is something that's really, really important to me and it's, it's really something that it's, God always speaks to me about. Um, so I'm bringing it forth because i'm a very mathematical guy in my brain like it's either i'm very one in 10 sometimes like it's, it's either truth or it's not truth like and and if it's not truth at least call it out right we're all in this place of mixture like we understand you know we're we're not sure sure which way to go but at least if you're not 100% sure at least call it out and that's how i am all the time and that's why i always say like i i, I very rarely say the lord told me this i'm always quick to say i think the lord told me this because I can't tell you how many times the Lord tells people something that never comes to pass. And, we just, and, and and is that invoking the name of God in vain when we do things like that? So anyway, let me just kind of speak from my heart about this. And again, just like last week, I have graphics for you. So here's a dude that's thinking. He's judging a matter, right? There's a matter that's before him. And the matter is that. The blue circle is something that happened. It was a circumstance, a situation. Something happened. Maybe he saw it on the news. Maybe it happened to him personally. A thing. Something happened. That's the blue dot. You got it? The black dot is a thing. Okay? It's something that happened. It's a circumstance. Now, what the Torah, and I've spoken about this many times, that what the Torah brought forth, the amazing thing that the Torah brought forth to the world is looking at a matter in a fact based manner. Not having our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own biases lead us to make a judgment. This is what the Torah brought forth. Don't be biased, don't look at anything except the facts. So what the Torah teaches us to do when we are going to judge a thing, a matter, the green ones are facts. We take a look at facts, 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 and we come to a conclusion. That's what the Torah wants us to do. So let's say somebody's somebody's bicycle was robbed, stolen. That's the thing. And you're looking at the matter. Well, give me a name. Somebody give me a name. I'll take the first name. Demetrius. Now, we saw a bicycle was stolen, but but we see Demetrius riding the same bike. Somebody else saw Demetrius take the bike. Another person saw Demetrius take the bike. Demetrius has a gripe against the guy that originally stole the, or had the bike. His name was Bartholomew. <laughs> Demetrius had a problem with Bartholomew. Demetrius thought that Bartholomew owed
1: him. Demetrius, when confronted about it, had a very angry reaction.
0: What's something else? I'm losing my, my, I don't have anything else. So these are facts, right? So you're you, you, you looking at facts and you come to the conclusion that Demetrius stole the bike from Bartholomew. None of these dots are green because you personally don't like Demetrius. Or you don't like something about him. Or you don't like his mom. Or you don't like his daddy. Or you don't like his grandpappy. It has nothing to do with that. Or Demetrius is poor, and poverty breeds crime. It has nothing to do with anything superficial. The judgment has to be fact-based. But this is what we tend to do with a
1: thing. We have a couple of facts, and then we intermingle it with our biases. Yellow are not facts. Yellow are our opinions. Another opinion. Another opinion. And there's so much. Do you see the little circle there? Up there. That's what we don't know.
0: Because there's so much in a situation that we don't know. And we come to conclusions. This is what we do. So, let's take a look at a specific example that we might see on the news. A school shooting, as an example. Fact, that's the circumstance. There was a school shooting. Like, let's say it's Uvalde. Fact, there was a school shooting. We see that. Fact, the cops didn't react quickly. Fact. Opinion. Well, the Democrats want to take away our guns. I saw something on YouTube where the children of Uvaldi looked
1: exactly like the children of Sandy Hook. George Soros...
0: I heard and plus there's stuff that we don't know and we make our conclusion, whatever it is, right? And we said, how obvious did we see it with COVID? There's a
1: pandemic, it's killing people, fact. We don't know what it is, fact, the socialists
0: The hospitals, all these things, and we, and listen, let me tell you something. We have a right to our conclusions. That's what makes us human. We have a right to look at things and fill in the gaps with our own biases. But what I want to bring forth to you is recognize
1: it's your own bias. This will cause a reaction.
0: It's, you'll, you'll either look at a president who is being declarative, or a president who is flashing a white power symbol. Based on your bias, you will look at this and see a family, a mother who's caring and teaching her daughter how to put others before her, and to care for the health and the health of others. Or you may see a woman who is brainwashed and child abuse. It depends on your bias. They both may be right. Partly. When you look at this, you might see an older president doing what presidents, older presidents do, kiss the babies. Or you might see a pedophile. <laughs> Depending on your bias. You might see Cops doing their job. And you might see racism. It depends on your circumstance, your bias. In all of these things, we know a little fact, the green dots, a whole lot of bias, yellow dots, and so much we don't even know when we make our conclusions. And the believers are the worst because The little red, yellow dots, which are our own bias, what we think, we put the Holy Spirit to them. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit that told me this. I have never known such a schizophrenic Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is telling one person one thing, and then somebody else, the the polar opposite. Opposite. But let's be real, there's an intermingling of our spiritual connection with just what we think, our upbringings, the things we're afraid of, the things that hurt us in the past, the trauma we experienced, our life experiences, our biases, we all got them. But the blessing is when we recognize it and we just say, I think this is kind of, this might just be me, but, and I think it's okay to say that. You know, there's a place in James where James says, don't say you're going to do this and this and this before you die. Say, God willing. Say, God willing. It's important what we say. One thing is brazen. You're putting it out there. And one, you're at least saying, this is what I want to do, but ultimately it's up to God. And it's important just these little things. This is why I think it's important not to just blurt out things when you really don't fully know the whole story. Especially news stories, because with news stories, you got a thing. You got, a, you got this and you got this. And so much is left out and for us to fill in the blanks. I saw something, saw a, a beautiful sister in the Lord recently on, on Facebook said that declaratively that monkeypox is a side effect of the COVID vaccine. Why does she believe that? Because the fact is that there's this thing called monkeypox. The fact is that a lot of people in the entire billions and billions of people got vaccinated. But the bias is that the vaccine is nothing more than government mandated poison. That's the bias. So you wind up putting two and two together. And it makes sense, it makes sense, but is it true? Probably not, but it makes sense. Now I don't care what anybody thinks about world events. That's not my um, job to have somebody look at a, a national incident or a world event and come to a certain conclusion. We are allowed to think what we want, even if it's wrong. Where we go wrong is, number one, when we promote it as fact, because I believe that God holds us accountable to what we say and even what we post. Because if he, if he keeps the, 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 prof, the prophets accountable for what they wrote on parchment... Well, now it's electronic. I think what we write is important. So when we promote it as fact, when really it's spurious, is that a good word? People are like, what does that mean? When it sounds like it makes sense, but really it's not true, and we promote it, I think we need to be careful. And I'm talking to me, I'm talking to everybody. I think we need to be careful with our words to make sure that we're speaking truth. There's a difference between what's true, you know, and what's truth, truth, truth. And I believe that God is calling us to a higher level of being people of truth. And if you have an opinion, that's cool. Just say so. Just say so. This is what I think. It may not be it, but it's what I think. And for me, I think it's, it's difficult for me to put the holy spirit on everything because let me tell you something the holy spirit is not there to confirm our biases that's not what the holy spirit does if, you're being, if your bias is being confirmed it may not be the holy spirit if your bias is being challenged it may be the holy spirit if you're being convicted of sin it may be the holy spirit if it's just telling you what you already believe uh-huh, 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 that youtube video is right it may not be the holy spirit And again, I don't care what what anybody believes about world
1: events, but when it comes down to personal levels, this person, oh, let me just do the graphics, whoops. Nope, hold on.
0: I said hi to this person, he didn't say
1: hi back. That's fact. This person gave me a look and it looked like an angry look. This person hates me.
0: I'm not likable. And there's so much that we add in to draw conclusions. When really it's just our bias and it's baseless. Baseless hatred. In Judaism is what brought down the temple. When we intermingle fact, with bias, it's baseless. Because with God, it's either true or it ain't. So if we have his truth and we intermingle it, it's not true. So at least say so. So there was one person, here's how it also can get personal. There was one person that came to me during the time of COVID and she said, "Um, I cannot come to Mishkan anymore because there are racists there. And please forgive me if this is too personal, but please forgive me, you know I love you. There are races here, I can't come. I said, what do you mean, tell me, did something happen, did somebody call you like, you know, use the N word on you or something like that, something really, really bad, what happened? No, I just, the person, the way the person looked at me, I could tell. I said, but how do you know? Like I know the person and the people that you're talking about, these people, I haven't seen anything, anything that registers to me as racism. And this person said, that's because you're not
1: black. I've experienced it. And because I've experienced it, I know what it is. You haven't experienced it. And I said, I very respectfully disagree.
0: Because trauma, when we experience Trauma
1: in our lives. It doesn't sharpen our focus, it clouds
0: it. Because it screams loudly within us to keep us safe. Our dad abused us. There's somebody else that looks like dad. We don't even realize it. We think the person's unsafe it's just our experience. We're at war, we hear a lot of booms, the car backfires, we get scared. Trauma never sharpens our vision. Trauma blurs it. And believe it, I I, I wound up telling this person, believe me, I understand where you're coming from. I grew up in a Jewish household when it was very much a post-Holocaust household. And I grew up with this, this, this sentiment in my house that everybody was anti-Semitic. If you're not Jewish, you're anti-Semitic. And I would come home from job interviews to so my mother. Did you get the job? <laughs> no, I didn't get the job. Was he anti-Semitic? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Love you, Mom. No, Mom, I don't think he was anti-Semitic. Trust me. I know he's anti-Semitic. I've experienced it. I could smell it. I'm not joking. This is a Seinfeld joke, right? Uncle Leo, everything's anti-Semitic. He's an anti-Semite. But why? Because Jewish people experienced it. And because it was experienced, that means the judgment has become clouded. And we may not be looking at a person with God's eyes. So we need to be looking at people with God's eyes in all of these situations. And recognize when our trauma is speaking to us. It may not be the Holy Spirit. I remember one person, I remember this one person, he was gay. And he was like, "Boy, you know, I went to this one area and I just felt like people hated me." And then somebody else went to him and said, "That's the Holy Spirit talking to you." And I'm like, "It may not be the Holy Spirit. It's just how he feels." You know, and it may be, it may be, it may not be. But let's just recognize when our feelings are intermingled with our bias. And that's what I mean by baseless. And if we have a judgment of somebody else and it's based on spurious things, questionable things, dubious things, and it's not really based on fact that the Torah tells us to do, it's baseless. It's baseless hatred. And God hates that. So God says in 1 Samuel 16, God does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance, appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This means that God sees the situation precisely as it is. And as much as we try, we don't. And it's okay that we don't. But let's just make sure when we're going out there and we're publicizing and when we're dealing with people and how we're making judgments on people based on interactions or whatever it is, let's just make sure that we recognize that we're broken. Let's just make sure that we recognize that our brokenness also speaks to us. We do hear from the Holy Spirit, but we also hear from our brokenness. And if we let our brokenness make a judgment, that's baseless hatred. And according to Judaism, that's what brought down the temple. So what is the solution to baseless hatred? The solution to baseless hatred is baseless love, and this is what Yeshua did. Now, I saw this on Facebook, and I loved it, but
1: this is not the only picture, so it's okay. So, baseless love. See, that was baseless, but funny. I assume that's meant to be an orphan. Oh, you cannot see? All right, let me start again. Yes. (laughs) You guys are so funny. I can see where this congregation leans, that's for sure. Oops. Can't go too fast past the nurse. I recognize this from what Susie's dealt with. That's it. Baseless
0: love. And isn't that the primary lesson of the New Testament, of the Gospels? That Yeshua showed love to people that were outcasts. I mean, the women, the sinful women, the Samaritans, the tax collectors. These are all the people that everybody went up everybody sideways because of their baseless hatred. Yeshua showed them all baseless love. And that's the remedy for the baseless hatred, which brings down the temple.
1: So, Baruch Hashem. Thank you for listening. Shalom.